This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. What is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Blackballed. I am very excited for the show today for a whole myriad of reasons. One of them is because the person who I have on today had a television show for six seasons that I watched religiously. I thought it was ahead of its time. It was like this pioneering kind of effort. And uh, it was something that I, I, we, we created a drinking game out of it. Um, and I don't even remember the rules of it. I think we just did it so we could get shit faced. But it was it was one of those shows that I, I rank it in my top five of all time Canadian television shows. He is also a musician. He is also a writer. And he uh, likes to argue with people sometimes on the Internet. Um, and no one knows why. But his name is Spencer Rice, a.k.a. Spenny. Spenny, what's up, buddy? James, how are you? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I just had uh, lunch with Kenny's sister, who was in Kingston, where I live, and oh. I was a great singer. She lives in Dubai. Oh, really? Yeah. Is she a model? I know. Yeah. I, I know that sounds weird because no. a lot of models move to Dubai for some reason. No, she's she's beautiful. But uh, no, her her husband and she both have jobs in Dubai. Her husband's in uh, animation, oh, uh, cool. animation, and uh, she's in some somehow. You know, they have Tim Hortons in Dubai. And they I'm, have, I'm uh, not surprised, I guess. You know? Yeah, I know. So anyways, it was nice seeing her, but uh, I'm well. If it was up to me, we would export all of the Tim Hortons to Dubai. I'm not a Tim Hortons guy. I, I don't know how our culture got chili. so bastardized with that horrible coffee. I'm just. Well, it's, well she, it's funny because we talked about it. She loves the coffee. And there was that rumor that they were putting nicotine in the coffee to addict people to it. Which I remember I that. Probably. They, they said that they lined the cups like they there was a veneer of nicotine inside the cups, which was just as much sense as uh, maybe this was actually true that players cigarettes had fiberglass filters. Was that true? I heard that. I remember that one. Like, and then the, the what about the guy? Did you ever, let's do a whole bunch of those uh, urban myths. Did you ever hear about the cop that dipped his finger in the tub of liquid acid, licked his finger, and then he thought he was an orange for the rest of his life? No. But I know yeah. the joke about the uh, guy who goes into the doctor and his penis is orange. And the doctor says, well, what have you been doing? He's going watching porn and eating cheesies. <laughs> it's a stupid joke. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's funny because it's stupid, though. Um, listen, I, 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 I've been doing this new thing before interviews lately. Uh, yesterday, I had a guy on who uh, is like one of the world's most foremost like experts on urban warfare. Okay. And he wrote a book that he talked about the camaraderie of soldiers. And so I watched Hacksaw Ridge before, before I, I interviewed him. And I felt like it got me into the right sort of frame of mind. 
you know, when we were talking about stuff that I knew absolutely nothing about, which is warfare. Before I interviewed you about two hours ago, and I'm not comparing you to this person per se or anything like that. It's not quite that literal. I watched the George Carlin documentary. Yes, I haven't and, seen it yet. And it is a, first of all, it's fabulous. It's, it's, it's such an amazing uh, look at a person's life and how they can re how sometimes when you reinvent yourself, what you're really doing is finding yourself because you weren't necessarily being yourself when you first got into the public eye. And I thought it was a good sort of prep run uh, to interview you because wow. um, I had a question uh, that, that I I've been wondering something since I guess, what was it? 2003 that you went on air in Canada for Kenny versus Penny. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Okay. But I, I think it was. I think it was. Uh, my my stellar research tells me that I think that's what your Wikipedia page said. So, but I was always curious when you did that show, how much of it was you just totally being yourself and how much of it was you having to stay in a certain part of yourself when you were doing that show? I would say the latter. Uh, what people don't really understand is that we, uh, you know, I knew who Kenny was. We'd been friends forever, right? And I knew he was a kind of Machiavellian kind of dude. And I knew that he would do anything uh, not to lose uh, to me on television, especially on television. So uh, when we came up with the concept, and it was a, it was a bunch of uh, different ideas that we had. And Will Smith uh, uh, actually had us move out to L.A., Will Smith's company, Overbrook Entertainment. Oh, wow. And... Uh, it, of the four ideas we had, uh, they went for Kenny versus Penny. So um, the reality was the only way the show could work and be real, and we decided early on, much to my chagrin, because I, I, I wish it was fake. I think we'd still be on the air if it was fake. But it wouldn't have been a good as good a show, which is Kenny's argument, which is legit. But uh, uh, basically, uh, we each had our own production teams, right? He had a cameraman, a sound man, and what we called the unit coordinator. I had the same setup and uh, we'd shoot the show. Uh, so the only way to keep it real, uh, because I knew Kenny was a cheater and that's one of my biggest questions. How could you not know he would cheat? Of course I knew he was, he would cheat. I didn't know how, because I wasn't present. I, I basically opted out of the production meetings intentionally. Uh, where he would discuss with even my camera, uh, my crew, what he was going to do. So uh, really everybody, the producers, Kenny, his crew, my crew, they all knew what he was going to do except me. And it was the only really way to, 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 to produce that show and make it somewhat oh. a staircase farting, you know, for two <laughs> minutes straight. Uh, I had no idea that he blew air up his ass. And by the way, it wasn't a fart. It was a queef. But I don't want to get into the, the uh, details of all that. Don't you but, need a uh, vagina to have a queef? No. It's just oh. simply air, right? Uh, oh. I mean, perhaps. I <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, always, that's been my argument, uh, as pathetic as it is. But anyways, uh, so so that it, was a, it, was, it was keeping it as real as possible. Obviously, it was a TV show. We had about three days to shoot each episode. A lot of them were sort of, uh, uh, you know, how long could you do something? So, you know, they were very uh, physically demanding in many ways. Uh, but that was, I think, the smartest thing we did was was just keep me out of the production process so Kenny could uh, plan to do that. And to, to your question, the sort of yes, I my got my job was to be me, basically. Yeah, I'm a I'm an honest, fair guy who doesn't cheat. So well, 
So speaking I, of I that, spent the whole time thinking about how he was going to cheat, there wouldn't have been much of a show. So, well, I found I found something that actually speaks to exactly what you just oh, said. God. I'm just going to let it play because I have a whole bunch. Of, I have a, I, I have some questions about this, and then I want to move on because um, there's so much that I want to talk to you about. But here, I'm going to play this because it kind of speaks to what you just what you just said. Hi, and welcome to the Kenny versus Spenny website. My name's Spenny, and I'm here to tell you why I think I am going to beat Kenny in our many competitions that we have. First of all, I play by the rules. It's just the way games are meant to be played. If cheating was allowed, where would we be? In absolute chaos. As you all know by now, Kenny is a cheater, and you just can't win by cheating. It just can't be done. The other thing is, Kenny is extremely lazy. He sits around, he plays video games, he cuts corners, he does everything in his power not to work hard. I, on the other hand, I like to work hard. I believe in hard work. I think it's important. I like to go to experts, and they help prepare me for these competitions, and I think that gives me an advantage. I'm also in much better physical condition than Kenny. I exercise on a daily basis, and I think that really does give me an advantage, especially in the more physical competitions. Kenny may think he's smarter than me, but he isn't. He just says that he is, and we all know he's a liar. Lastly, I have the privilege of representing goodness, while Kenny <laughs> represents evil. And I think we all know that at the end of the day, goodness triumphs over evil. I'd like to thank you for listening to me, and have a wonderful day, and God bless. The God Where bless the part gets you. I haven't seen that. I don't know if I've ever seen it. It's so, that's from CBC, the old days. Yeah, I got my Nardwar on for this interview, so I I wanted to make sure that I I did I did all the the, the right research. You know, listen, like I I know you've heard everything about that show, but like really, what what I loved about that show is that it was so easy for most, especially guys, I think, to to identify with one or the other. Like the, if there were two types of individuals, you guys like represented those two types. And I was in college, uh, actually, I was out of college, but I was hanging out with a buddy that was just like you. Like he played his guitar all the time. He was a little, when we went out, I was always like doing shit that caused attention. He was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like we went to New York city once and it was just that, it was just that the whole time we were there, we were like 20 and we snuck into Madison square garden and he kept coming with me to do all this crazy shit. But he, he kept on expressing how he didn't want to yet. He was always coming with me. Right. So it was like the neurotic guy and then the shit disturber. And you guys like, like that's every demographic for young men back then. Yeah, except millions loved him and about six loved me. So and and I I, I that's like what I I have become and what I realize that I've become is a reverse heel. Heel is a, a wrestling term uh, for the bad guy. And something happened in wrestling. I'm a big wrestling fan uh, or used to be. Uh, around I want to say the Attitude Era in WWE. I think then it was WWF and the, the, the bad guys became the crowd favorite. And that's right. exactly what's happened with Kenny versus Spenny. And I have no problem with it. It just means that the more patronizing I am, the more, you know, I'm good. I represent goodness. That just pisses these people off. And, you know, fundamentally when you're in show business, you're really looking for a reaction. I mean, that's, that's really what you're looking for. And especially with comedy and what we were doing. So uh, I embrace that completely. Listening to that and having maybe never seen it, I think it's something CBC made us do to define the characters. Uh, who, who, I, I agree with everything I said, except I'm wrong about uh, 
a that you know that that people will <laughs> that I will win in the end. Clearly, I lost in the end. I was <laughs> humiliated more than him. Uh, and uh, something else in there I can't remember. But uh, by and large, that's a pretty accurate description of my frame of mind going into the series. It must have been really difficult to get insurance. <laughs> Like, did you have to sign like how many waivers did you have to sign before each episode? No, it was it, it wasn't really an issue. And I've said this and, uh, you know, God bless the CBC, even though we were only on there for 26 of the 100 odd episodes we did. Mm-hmm. Um, they did were they were really not around. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. We we in, in season four, we were on Comedy Central and we had a taste of the old American uh, executive breathing down our back and legal and all that, I remember. Uh, but Canada, God bless us, uh, they just sort of let us do our thing. And I think that was where we found our our rhythm for the show. So I'm very grateful for their neglect. There was an ar- There's an irony in that, though, because when you went to Comedy Network, wasn't um, weren't the South Park Boys executive producers at that time yeah, for you? Comedy Central. Yeah, yeah, they were. Uh, we we it's it's a famous ish story with the, the Kenny Spenny community. What basically happened? Uh, wait, hold on. I'm sorry. The, the Kenny Spenny community. There's a community like sure. fans, okay. whatever you want to be. Sure, okay. of course. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Listen, I'm and, down with that community. Uh, you know, people that are crazy for the show. Anyways, yeah. so, so what happened was um, we we had heard rumors. Uh, actually, Kenny heard rumors from a guy named Kyle McCulloch, who was Canadian, but he was a writer on, on South Park. Mm-hmm. So uh, Kenny went to the uh, Toronto Film Festival, a place I would never go unless I was forced by gunpoint. But anyway, you had a short film there. Oh, yeah, I've had yeah. two films, I think, in the maybe one or two. I can't remember. But I just the whole scene just nauseates me. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, so, so we heard Kenny's goes to a party and he meets Kyle and Kyle says that the boys, meaning Matt and Trey love Kenny versus Spenny. And neither of us believed them. What an (laughs) endorsement. Wow. What? What an endorsement. No, no, it was crazy. So anyways, we never really believed it. We never thought it was true. And then I was traveling a lot on the red eye uh, from uh, Toronto to Los Angeles because I was living in L.A. and we sold the show in Canada. So I was going back and forth. I was married, blah, blah, blah. And uh, anyways, long try to make this short. So I go to the airport to do one of my flights. And this guy walks up to me who turns out to be Kyle McCulloch, who I didn't meet. Kenny met. And he goes, hey, Spenny. And he gives me a hug. He goes, the boys are here. I go, what what boys? Because I didn't know who he was. He goes, Matt and Trey. I go to the South Park guys. He goes, yeah, but they're up in the first class, you know, lounge. I'm flying coach. Anyhow, uh, they came down. Uh, they hugged me. Uh, they clearly, it turned out to be true. They were fans of the show. They told me that uh, they they uh, used our show when they had writer's block in the room and whatever. Oh, all wow. this stuff. Like, kind of blown away. And I'm not a huge South Park fan, but I have tremendous respect for them. Anyhow, so bottom line was we land in Toronto and they were coming to Toronto because they had just released uh, that uh, the puppet movie. What was that one? That was great. The Team oh, America. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, Amazing was movie. So and they were it was a DVD release in Canada. So they came up for a party anyway. So we landed at the airport. The first thing I did was call Kenny. I go, you're not going to believe this. That guy Kyle was telling you the truth. I'm with Matt and Trey right now. They gave me a lift back in their limo for, wow. from the airport. And they were staying at the, uh, I don't know what that hotel is. It's a real trendy, nice hotel in Toronto. And uh, I said, Kenny, you got to come party with us. Anyways, I uh, 
drank way too much that day. It was day drinking, no, no fucking food in me. And we ended up at the Drake Hotel where I'll never go again as long as I live for a number of reasons. Uh, and uh, the bar there, uh, I was thrown out. Uh, Kenny claims I was vomiting on the sidewalk. I don't believe that's true. Uh, and according to Kenny, uh, and I remember arguing with them about everybody loves Raymond for some reason. I just remember that. And uh, uh, I thought they were kind of snobby and uh, it, it pissed me off. But anyways, uh, yeah. So, so as legend has it, uh, they just said, we, you guys are real because they'd watched the show before they thought it was an act. Uh, and, uh, we never want to see Kent Spenny again because he was, really? so, well, I was tipping tables. I was completely out of control, but they were absolutely, uh, edgy, egging me on like 100, not them. Yeah. Buttons, I can't remember. There was a guy, one of the characters on the show, uh, he was there. Uh, his name is used on the show. I can't think of it right now. Yeah. Anyhow, yeah. So they, Kenny became friendly with them. He ended up writing on their show for a while. And, uh, you know, the reality uh, is that they, uh, Matt Stone specifically, he championed the show at Comedy Central. Comedy Central at the time was run by a guy named Doug Herzog, who was Canadian, who detested us <laughs> because he, he thought we were just gross and not funny. Uh, but Matt, uh, people don't realize that, but kind of Matt and Trey built Comedy Central. That was their first big mm. hit. Show. So they have a lot of leverage there. And yeah, Matt, them in The Daily Show, right? Those two were like... Yeah, the I think they were even yeah. before The Daily Show, to be honest, yeah. but I'm not 100% sure. But sure, yeah. And and then that's what happened. They, he he went to bat for us and he convinced them to to do a, a season with us, which we did. It was We were shooting in Canada. And uh, but we had all the executives on our ass from the U U.S. and they had we had to recut the U.S. version to Canada's credit. Canada just aired whatever we did. Uh, the U.S. had lawyers and fucking we can't do this. We got we got to do this. You got to we got to beep this. Like, it was really a big deal uh, to us. Anyways, it seemed like a big deal. And that was it. And and we didn't. Doug made damn sure because he, people don't really know the business. So that that we weren't a Comedy Central show. We were a, a CBC show that Con Comedy Central picked up, right? Oh, okay. Now Sarah Silverman, The Daily Show, uh, so on and so forth. Those are Comedy Central original shows. So they will put the lion's share of their promotion into their own shows. Right. And. Doug didn't like us anyway, so they kept changing the time slot. It was uh, no, we we had a first the first time we aired in the states, we had a, a pretty decent number for a show that had no promotion, uh, mm. and then they kept changing the time slot. No one could find it, so we ended up doing only one season with them, which sucked. But wasn't anyway. your wasn't the show originally pitched for MTV? We we uh, we pitched MTV. I'll never forget that either. Uh, they had a thing called the Pitchathon at the uh, Blues. What's that? It's a bar, that's, Dan Aykroyd. That's a creative name. Yeah, the Pitchathon. Pitch it was the most intimidating thing. So Kenny and I, who we really weren't show business guys, like we'd made a bunch of little movies at home, like no no professionalism whatsoever. We just did our thing, and uh, it was at the House of Blues, and it was literally a room where you walked in, and there was like thirty five executives from NTV. Right. And to keep in mind, Tom Green had already succeeded there. So it was like, oh, Canadians, you know, maybe this will be good. And yeah. they gave us no money. So we had to do a slide presentation. We literally like PowerPoint. Had I remember uh, John Miller, who was who ran the network. He was the biggest guy there. Kenny remembers two things about him. One was that he when he found out he was a guitar player, he asked to jam with me. And I said no. And Kenny almost killed me. Right. He said, you just said no to the fucking guy. Yeah. Anyway. And then uh, John said, right before we went into pitch, he said, you know, 
go easy on the Jewish stuff. You know, the, this is a young crowd and we're, we're old school fucking Marx Brothers guys, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Kenny was nervous. And the first thing he did when he opened the door into this room, he went, is this the Nussbaum Bar Mitzvah? That was the first thing he said. Uh, anyways, so yeah. that was it. But the reality is, thank God they didn't buy it because they don't pay well, MTV. So Yeah, I heard that. I shouldn't say that because we would have been a lot more famous. And then, uh, you know, uh, we ended up being picked up by Barry Diller's uh, USA Network. We did a pilot for them and uh, they pulled the plug on it halfway through the pilot. Uh, They didn't understand what we were doing. Right. Our our show was based on us being ourselves and competing where they saw it more like Spy versus Spy from Mag Magazine, where, you know, if Kenny Uh, would get a pit bull, I'd get two and then he'd get three. It just wasn't what we did. (laughs) Yeah. You probably, they probably were looking for something. It sounds like anyways, that where the editing was all like jolt editing and stuff like that. But what was cool about your show, a bunch of things were cool about your show, obviously. But the one thing that I really enjoyed about the show is that you guys didn't bother cutting out the boom mic guy and, and stuff oh, like no. that. Okay. And sometimes they would even like gag, like when, when Kenny shat on your cauliflower, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like you, you had members of the crew that were almost throwing up, right? Like you can still smell it. Well, we did the uh, who could keep a poop in their diaper the longest, which is a, I want that to be an Olympic event. But uh, so the whole set smelled awful. And when you, when the camera wanders and you see the crew, they're all holding their nose or wearing masks. It was insane. I mean, it was just the whole thing was insane. Uh, but we love it. We love the show. We're still working. We, I'm going out to Saskatchewan with Kenny uh, in about a week, week and a half. And yeah. Do our shtick live. It's not, we don't compete. We don't do the show, but we just be ourselves. It's been just a tremendous a blessing. And do, you, do you prepare for that? Uh, that that sort of lifestyle? Or Kenny's, do, yeah. Kenny's, Kenny, Kenny's very improv guy, right? Yeah. You know, and I'm uh, a little bit more, I want to prepare. Uh, and he's a one-liner guy. He's really the funnier one of the two of us. I'm sort of the straight man. Uh, but, uh, we prepare like very marginally, very marginally, yeah. but it doesn't matter. I mean, the shows are really, the live show is very unique. It's very funny. Uh, people love it. We've been doing it for almost eight years now. Live, live, uh, stuff all over Canada, Europe, uh, the U S a little, we're going to start doing the U S more. So I, I thought I always, listen, I, I know what you mean by he might want, I always thought that you were funnier. I, I, I thought watching you be become so neurotic and angry every episode was the greatest thing about the show like it was it was more of the woody allen larry david school and kenny's more of the groucho mart school which Mm -hmm. is fine uh you know the thing is we weren't put together for show business right we were friends our fathers were best friends so right right then and there it was just a repartee that we had that was very real because that's just who we were and I think that the the fans in retrospect really dug that that they could they may not have known that, but you could feel there was a certain reality to our uh, going back and forth with each other because the re- the reality was we we had been bickering <laughs> for ten years before we were ever even an idea that we'd be on TV. Were were your dads? Was there like a dominant and an, and a submissive or whatever between your dads? Or no, no, they went to U of T together. Uh, mm. you know, in those days, sort of Jews, all new Jews, you know, and, uh, yeah. Kenny's family was from Hamilton. Uh, Jack, Kenny's father was a lawyer 
and uh, my dad was in real estate. They just knew each other. I mean, you know, there's a picture that we lost over the years, which is so sad of them at like Wasega Beach as as teenagers trying to pick up kids together. I can't believe uh, chicks together, kids. Oh, oh my God. Jesus Christ. Uh, chicks. And, yeah. you know, it, it, it's so sad that we lost that picture. I remember I gave it to Kenny. He put it on his fridge in his old house on Heathdale, and we've never seen it since. I think I've got... Oh a picture of it, maybe a picture of a picture kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It's really out of focus, but uh, no, it's a very uh, lucky. We're very lucky. I think we're good as well. Don't get me wrong, but you know, the, just the way things happen, how we went to school together. Cause he's younger than I am. He's about four years younger than I am, maybe five, but uh, I was a musician. So I was, I really wasn't, it was into the show business thing more than he was. Uh, not, you know, just like bars and playing music with bands and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I remember he wasn't that way. Like I had to, you know, but I knew he was super funny and would be great. So, you know, I kind of helped him. And then he be, he just had an incredible knowledge of, of uh, editing, of uh, cinematography. He was just very yeah. good at that stuff. But he wasn't an on-camera guy as much as I was. And uh, but there you have it. We did the movie called Pitch and uh, the rest is history. Uh, I want to talk about just one last thing so that I can segue into uh, another topic that I want to talk to you about. Um, the and and you you covered this on the on the Dean Blondell podcast. We were on the same podcast there a few weeks ago for like a second. Uh, um, and I think uh, I don't think it, I, it was that podcast. I believe you know how I remembered you, James, what? just because that? because the look you have a Mad Dog Vashon look. Uh, oh. You're skinnier and handsomer, but he had the goatee and the the uh, no hair. Anyways, oh, go well, ahead. thank you. Yeah, we're, you know, we, you know, us bald guys with beards, we always get stereotypes. So it's fine. I'll let it go. I'll let it slide this time. Are you mad dog Vashon? Do you know who I'm talking about? I, is he a wrestler? Yeah. Montreal. Yeah. I, I have a very big, yeah. my great grandfather used to sit in front of the TV with his wheelchair and we would know that he was watching wrestling because we could hear this come from like the kid and we would be like oh oh uh papa nanan is watching wrestling again because i'm italian you know, right? wrestling is just the uh, and, and the wrestlers don't get mad at me because you know i love you but it's kind of the lowest rung oh, yeah. of show business ladder uh, well it's the first but, soap opera for boys but, but, and when i say that they, they yeah. it's way more popular than i'll ever get so it's not like <laughs> i mean low in terms of uh popularity people love wrestling and it's a billion dollar industry. So I'm not saying that. Well, not... you know, you know what else is more popular than you? Everything. Opiates. So it's not always a good thing, right? Like it's just, you know, sometimes. I know about that too. But anyways. Yeah, so do I. Well, the, here, that's a good kind of like pre-segue to the segue, which is uh, when I saw you on Dean's show, yeah. you uh, they played the clip of you. I think it was like an octopus or a squid on your head and you were on yeah. LSD. Yeah. Now I watched that and I was like, that's I, I felt like that was like because I am an LSD uh, veteran. Okay, and so I was like, I, listen, it's great content, but there's thirty percent of that is hamming it up a bit, wasn't it? A little bit. Well, I mean, when you have a, an octopus on your head, you don't know that you're on LSD because he. <laughs> oh you know, yeah, right? I would have killed him I'd by the way. It, but I had been I. I think one of the reasons he was okay with doing it to me because he's, he's not a horrible person was because he knows how much acid I'd done in my life. Yeah. Uh, uh, I have a lot to say about that drug in particular. Uh, yeah. Can, can we talk about that? Because I, I when, the one thing that I remember, uh, like I'm listening to you on Dean's show and I was just like, why am I not on this show? And then I remembered, Oh, it's because there would be two people talking about their plethora of drug use over the years 
and, uh, and it wouldn't Dean, leave enough time for the other two to talk, right? James Dean, for some, I don't even know how he knows about my drug history, but that was him. He was seemed very amused by talking about my drug use. I don't know why. I just don't. Give I would shit. like to take a more sophisticated path onto right. the drug talk because um, it's easy to talk about the slapsticky stuff. I have a whole bunch of funny stories about doing drugs, but the psychedelics are kind of near and dear to me because it's the first of all um lsd and shrooms same family as far as i'm concerned they're not completely different they're not exactly the same but doing lsd or shrooms when i'm a teenager versus doing them now it is a totally different experience and it's because i think a maturity level i do it now to reset i do shrooms once a month I, I take six grams of shrooms once a month to reset. I like to go to outer space. I don't like to take small doses. I like to take six grams, and then I, I go to outer space. Six and then the grams? Next, That's insane, I do. James. I did it on the podcast a couple of times uh, on Dean's show. Oh One God. time I was on with Our Lady Peace uh, with Rain, and that didn't last long because I offended him, and so I got kicked off the show. And then, uh, and then the other what time I – What did you say to him? What happened? Oh, he was uh, – he, it was it was when Biden and Trump were running for president, and um, and I it's a little foggy, but I, let me just understand this: you're on copious amounts of uh, mushrooms, correct? Okay, I powderize them and I put them in ice cream. That's how I eat them, right? And uh, and so I, I it was just some offhanded comment about uh, like I I was sort of taking the road that like Trump is obviously a fucking moron and obviously I would vote for Biden but Biden's not exactly a, a, a um a candidate that is like galvanizing the American public right and so he uh, and then a couple minutes later he said something like you know I remember when Obama ran and people had posters on their wall you know and uh, you know my son was like all over Obama and then I said to him. Uh, just out of curiosity, does your son have any Biden posters on the wall? <laughs> and then I got kicked off the show. It's just, I guess I said it like I was a real dick. But right. in any event, um, you know, the, the the idea of like shrooms now versus then is a totally different animal. And I think it's because when you're a teenager, you're just like, woo, you're just like that kind of, you want to be silly and crazy and funny and all that. But as I get older, I just kind of want to be introspective. I, I just kind of want to sit sounds, and think. Sounds therapeutic. You're yeah. Using therapeutically, yeah. Yeah. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. So your experience, I, I don't know if you ever use drugs anymore. It's not really all that important if you do or don't, but I just, I was curious to talk to you about this stuff. So, um, yeah, well, yeah. Let me just, as a blanket statement, say that, uh, I, 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 for me personally, everything I'm going to say is about me personally. I'm yeah. not 
projecting I, on no any judges type. no it's okay yeah no no it, yeah but i'm I, i'm really talking for myself i i i i would probably not even do mushrooms now i don't think they're the same acid at least the acid i did was way stronger uh than any mushroom trip i did once i thought i was going to die on mushrooms because i ate so many which is why i reacted to six grams that you ate uh because yeah. it's a poison right you realize that it's all poison uh, my friend all of it yeah so yeah. you know but anyways we can go into that but um I, I think that my overall thing with drugs for me personally is that i was out of control for a long time i did a lot of stupid things uh, and, uh, I am now much more of a wimp, you could say, and I have no problem no. admitting that I don't want to be out of control, uh, especially now with the family and kids. And, and, uh, I even took edibles, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago. And I over, I, I took too much and I was at home alone with the kids and it was just an awful experience for me. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, paranoid and everything. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But, yeah, but, no. Having said that, on the positive note, I, I do think, especially with psychedelics, it does let you see the world from a different perspective. And that, I think, is is therapeutic and, and quite good. The problem is, I, I believe I'm an addict, uh, not a full-blown addict. I think there's a spectrum. So my problem is that I'm, I'm sort of, it's difficult for me to have a good experience and not try to have a bigger one the next day or whatever. So, you know, to everybody, everybody does that. I, look, I, the, uh, the, the time, I mean, the, I had some bad acid trips, about two of them. Uh, mm -hmm. One of them was back in the day. I don't know how old you are. 46. Uh, okay. So I'm considerably older than you, but back in the day, uh, there was a thing called purple microdot acid, which we, Oh, I remember in, those. Yeah. Okay. So that, that was supposedly filled with strychnine, which I, I've rat never poison. even yeah. researched it because it sounds so horribly frightening. That's uh, another urban myth. Because if it was rat poison, rat poison doesn't make you trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. So the, the first really bad trip I had, and then I'll tell you about the good trips, but the first really, really bad trip I had was there was a show at the O'Keefe Center, which uh, I don't think exists. I, the Hummingbird Center now, maybe, or whatever yep. it's called. Whatever it's something it's called. else now, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, they had a, I'm a big Beatles fan. Uh, and they had a thing called Beatlemania, which was a live uh, sort of tribute to the Beatles where they had guys that look like them and could play like them. And uh, I took uh, two two hits of what was called Double Barrel Purple Microdot. <laughs> yeah, double no Barrel idea. California Sunshine, Double Barrel Purple. Yeah, I know this was the stuff. Purple yeah. Mic. This, the California Sunshine was a different thing. Anyhow, for me anyways. So uh, I went to that show with a friend of mine. And uh, act two was sort of the psychedelic act. And they had, uh, I guess what you'd call a transparent screen and all kinds of effects uh, that were uh, tailor made for someone, uh, uh, you know, who's on psychedelics. And I was and I was fine. I totally enjoyed it. But we went home. I got on the subway and my friend that I did it with said he had to go. So. I so couldn't the night took a turn. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it took a real bad turn. And then when I got home, a girl I knew had broken into my place oh. uh, just to get high and have a good time. And I literally had the experience uh, that I'll never forget of, of being completely unable to function, talk, walk, do anything. And she laid wow. with me, not in a sexual sense, just in a, uh, uh, you know, taking care of me sense. And, uh, I remember watching a test pattern on television for hours. I just, it was really scary, to be honest with you. Um, 
And uh, so, yeah, I read The Politics of Ecstasy, Timothy Leary's book. I actually saw Timothy Leary live. I, I think that there's tremendous therapeutic uh, usages. Now they do a thing called microdosing, which yep. does like you'd be interested in from everything you've said. Uh, so I don't, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to put it down as a thing, but for me, uh, I've had with the mushrooms, I was up in Georgian Bay and I ate a, a shitload of mushrooms. I don't know grammage how much I ate. And I, this mm -hmm. had never happened to me before I went to bed, had the greatest night of my life in terms of laughing and having fun. And then I went to bed in this cabin and I woke up just completely covered in sweat to the point where the sheets had sweat marks around it. And I yeah. and, and it was a landlocked uh, 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 cottage. So in order for me to go to the hospital, which I seriously thought about doing, would have been to get in a boat, wake everybody up. <laughs> and be, so I wasn't I'd rather in, die. Yeah, I'd rather die. Exactly. Yeah. And uh but, you know, I have I've had so many good experiences with the stuff. And I, I hesitate to say that because I don't want to encourage anybody to do it because we're all different. Our chemical makeups and what we can intellectually or mentally handle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't really need like I, I, I you know, I wasn't trying, you know, this isn't an, not an attempt to, to connect with you, uh, no. you know, via our illicit drug use or to try to encourage you to do it or anything. I totally get what you're saying. Like, I feel yeah. I feel like. um I'm an addict. I, I know that, you know, like I don't drink anymore because, uh, you know, I had a really bad alcohol problem for a lot of years. Right. And, um, and where there's alcohol in my world, I, how did I used to say it? I'm like, yes, I would just follow the vodka river to cocaine Valley. And that's always yeah. my, that was always my route. And, um, Coke and is when a, I stop, it's a very bad drug in my opinion. It, oh my God. It's the devil. It, it is devil. like absolutely the devil because you love it so much when you do that first line and then nothing can recapture that euphoria or that dopamine rush. And then all I, of a sudden, I, for me, it's different for me. It's like, it's when I do it or when I used to do it, I won't do it anymore. And now they've got that. What's it called? Fentanyl. So you don't even know what you're doing. Yeah. I would every bad decision I could possibly make. Oh, it would happen. And that yeah. goes with cigarettes and drinking. Sex I would do everything. everything. Just yeah. endless. I need, I want more. Let's do more. And it's a, it reminds me of the ad during the Reagan era where they had the, uh, it was an anti-cocaine commercial that was played in the United States. And it was a, a cage with a, a like a, a rat or a mouse in it. And it had that water thing with the little spigot that they go in and yeah. they put coke in it. And then they oh. did a time lapse of it trying it and going back and then going back and back and back. And then they sped it up. It was like a time lapse till it died. It was just yeah. covered in it was some wet fluid and died. Uh, yeah. yeah cocaine. And like, I mean, yeah, the, you know, that's, it's interesting because, um, you know, I've been, uh, and maybe it's cause I just, I, maybe I, it's because I, I want to leave myself a little bit of an open window to escape sometimes. And so now it's just, it's really just shrooms and weed. You know, like, and, and that is sort of like where I'm at now. And, you know, there is the odd time where like, I also, I have a prescription to Adderall, which feels like recreational, but it feels like it's okay. Like, so you have an attention deficit. I do. I do. Like I had, I'm what I was, my, my, I was diagnosed when I was like 34, but when you go through like, it's like six hours of like pretty intense sort of testing with a psychiatrist before you get any type of prescription for ADHD. And at the end of it, he looked at me. It was like, I think it was like three two-hour sessions or something like that. And then you have to do like run on a treadmill to make sure that the legalized meth they're about to give you won't give you a heart attack and shit. But he, he looked at me and he was just like, how the fuck did none of your teachers 
take you aside and ask right. your parents to like maybe check you out to make sure. And I'm like, I have no idea. Catholics, maybe I don't know. It was a Catholic yeah, school. I don't maybe work. they didn't. What, what is Adderall? Does it work for you? Do, I mean, tell me. I'd love to know what like what it you does. Were, what um, you so before Adderall, um, I was known as a pacer. Like okay. I would just pace. Uh, like that's how I used to think. I used to have the shaky foot. So I'm doing that right now. Yeah. Like I, I still have the shaky foot. Um, I, I still pace, but only when I'm on the phone, but I used to like for, you know, 15 hours a day pace, uh, think, um, I would have all these creative ideas. Like I've been a freelancer for 20 something years. And when I say freelancer, it means I couldn't hold a job. And sometimes I would sell a newspaper article, right? That's, right, right, that's, right. What, it was, that's what it was like for me. And then uh, so I would be treading water all the time before the medication. And then uh, when I quit drinking, I got a lot better productivity wise for my career and I got more responsible. But then when I took, started taking the Adderall, it was like I was so I just so much more productive. Like it's Wednesday. This is like my fifth podcast this week. And it's because I want to work all the time. That's right. that's just what I want to do. Are you working so, I, I not until the last couple of years. No, um, I was a late bloomer. You know, I didn't have the discipline. You know? okay. And so, but now, uh, you know, and, and to be honest with you, it's, it's, I, you know, sometimes I still abuse it. Sometimes like, you know, they give me my, my prescription is like the maximum you can give a person. It's like 60 milligrams of Adderall a day. What happens when you take it? Do you get relaxed? Is that? No, no, <laughs> no it's, it's basically meth. That's what wow. it is. Yeah, it's it's amphetamine. I've right? done it once, but I didn't. I don't think it did anything to me. Oh well, you probably. Yeah, I'll try it. You know, kind of. Thing. Are you ADHD or anxiety and I depression? Know. I, I I've know? never been diagnosed. My wife will say I'm a hundred percent AD, at least ADD. I don't. Yeah. I'm not sure. I've I've never really looked at it. I guess the one thing that that I've always thought with drugs in general, especially alcohol, uh, is that my vanity has saved me. I think from being. Really? Because when I used to drink like a pig, and I used to, as you probably did too. Yes, I did. Uh, shots of Jack Daniels, beer, vodka, you know, when I was a teenager and into my 20s, uh, my face bloated out and I had bad skin from it. And that was fine for a while. And then it just, I, I hated the way I looked so much yeah. <laughs> that when I realized it was the alcohol that was doing it, so in a, in many ways, I think, because I'd had a couple of hospitalizations from drinking too much, uh, I think it might have saved my life, my vanity. I don't know. You never know, right? You just That's an interesting thing to say, like your vanity saved you. Like I, I can't think of another context where that would uh, where that would make sense. You know what I mean? I know. But you have to be you have to have the vanity. And I got the vanity from my mother. Right. She was. She always had me was concerned about she used to feel my nose to see if it was going to get as big as her brother's because we're Jews. <laughs> and uh, so I did, had all these trips on me, you know. Did you ever like were you ever high during this is probably going to be sound funny because you were on acid once. But did you make a point of being inebriated for the show? Like when it had nothing to do with the plot of the episode? Uh, when it had nothing to do with the plot or when it had. Yeah. It had nothing to do with the plot. Generally not. No, no. No, it was, a, it was a bit of a responsibility, right? Like you're given a lot of money, you're paid a lot of money. The the budget for the show was, you know, obviously nothing like a Hollywood budget, but it was, you know, relatively speaking, a lot of money. And you had three days to do it. Uh, no, I didn't. I, well, I'm not a weed guy. I've never really been a weed guy. When I was a weed guy was back when I was in high school and it was like Mexican weed. <laughs> like the bricks, the flat bricks? Awful. 
what? Yeah, the flat bricks. You remember those? The flat bricks no. of weed. No. Oh yeah, that was the Mexican stuff, or the little cigarellos as well. And then all you these years it. later, and I really just wasn't. And it wasn't that I was against weed; it just didn't do it for me. So I'm on the road in in L.A. Sorry, in uh, Vancouver, and my uh, promoter at the time said we're going to do a meet and greet at uh, what they call uh, uh, those stores where they sell weed. What are they called? Uh, dispensaries. Yeah, a dispensary. So I and my my name's Spencer. Anyway, so I go there. Long story short, the the guy douched me. They conned me into doing a dab, which I'd never even heard of, but it sounded like oh, a dab that can't be bad. Yeah. He gave me he gave me two and a half grams. I was with the cave oh. from, from uh, cave, the cave in, in like one with us. I, I sh- as soon as I saw the acetylene torch, I should have ran for my life. Uh, oh. But anyway. Uh, I was with the caveman who sort of took care of me. That's uh, from the trailer park boys, uh, Sam Losco. Yeah. And uh, he kind of, he, he didn't douche me. The, the guy who owned the place douched me, but uh, it was horrible. It was like being on a, that acid trip I had where I couldn't, I couldn't move. I couldn't really, I was stuck in a, uh, at the dispensary, the sort of waiting room mm. and I couldn't go anywhere. And everybody's taking pictures of me because I'm quote unquote, a celebrity. It was a horrible experience. And then I remember that night I had a show where I had to play music and I couldn't, I just, there's no way I can't even, I can barely put a sentence together. So I walked out on stage and well, I basically, I told my manager, I said, what happens if I don't go? He goes, you won't get paid. I go, let's go. And I went out on stage and I just told the story and I'm pretty sure they enjoyed that more than me playing music. They would have if I played music. Yeah. Uh, As a musician, you were, you're, you're more of a sober guy then? Like there are, are there a couple of drinks, no, I, maybe. No, I drink. I just I I don't go to that place very rarely. We were at, we Kenny and I were we did a, a bunch of shows in the states. Like I, I want to say less than a year ago, and I had a bad night. And my bad nights are usually I forget to eat and I drink like a pig, and then anything can happen. Anything I'll mm-hmm. say yes to pills to uh, powders, anything. And it was one of those nights. And Kenny basically said, "I'm not going to work with you anymore if you're like this," because uh, wow. he hadn't seen it in a while. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was, it was bad. It was really bad. I, 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 I assaulted a couple of people. Uh, I don't have a full uh, memory of it, to be honest with you, but you know, you just acknowledge that, you know, okay, I, this stuff's more powerful than I am and I have to be careful. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and the amount, like you drink less now than you used to, I'm imagining. Oh, you're more. Yeah. yeah. I, I physically, James, I physically couldn't do what I used to do. Which is oh, great. Dude. It's the greatest. You want to see I've what done. it looked like when I was at my worst? This is sure. this is me. <laughs> I look like King Kong Bundy. Like, <laughs> like just, well, you look don't. At that you steak. No, let's look at the steak. I can't take yeah. that. <laughs> I know. And that's an extra large boogie down you? production shirt. I'm in Oshawa. My friend Nigel. You, you know the band, the Pocket Dwellers. Remember them? Acid jazz hip hop band. Anyways, there uh, I was at his but I hit his place, and I got home and I looked at that picture and I was just like, I am fucking hideous. Like I. Oh, I was much, I was that you looked a little like you had some weight on you, but I was like, a, I look like Charlie Brown. When, and when I was at my worst, my face was completely round. I had a rash all over my face and I was drinking like a pig. I deserved it. Anyways, th- I mean, again, thank God that th- that was what happened to me because that's what uh, made me want to stop. Did you ever have to go to rehab or anything? Never. Uh, no. I went to a, I went to AA once on my own because I couldn't tell my parents. So and I. I get there and everybody starts sharing 
And the first guy shares said that he was drunk and he basically killed three people in a car. And I went, okay, I don't think I belong here. Uh, God bless these people. And I, I, I know a lot of uh, AA people from LA because I, I think, I don't know if I told you or Dean, but uh, I used to work at a place called Investors Business Daily, which was a, uh, it was basically a call center where you sold subscriptions to this uh, investment paper. It was owned by a billionaire. But anyways, the human resources lady was AA. And uh, we're in L.A., so everybody's like an actor, a director, a producer or whatever. So yeah. the whole room, when it was a huge sales room, it was like maybe 150 addicts, right? That were, it was a, it was a great job and you could make a shitload of money. They Apparently they changed the, uh, the, the, the profit structure there. But at the time I got to meet some really interesting people. Look, I love addicts. I, you know, I don't like them when they're in the throes of their addiction, but they're very interesting people and they have the, great stories. Yeah. The rebound from addiction to whoever you become. That person, as long as their religious bent isn't too pronounced, like, you know, is usually well, a, a, cool a is person. a kind of religion when you think. Oh, I it. went once, dude. I, w I had the same experience as you, except I except I did a, a Hollywood line of cocaine just before I walked into the door to yeah. get through it, you know, and uh, and then they started holding hands and praying. And I'm just like, I'm out of here. I, I can't. I can't. So I went I to a few AA meetings in L.A. and I'll tell you my favorite story, which was uh, I go in and I'm Canadian. And I noticed one of the addicts there is Steve Jones, the guitar player from the Sex Pistols. Hmm. I'm like, no one knows who he is but me. I swear to God, because, you know, again, because we're Canadian, we get all the British stuff, right? And he happened to be, he had to go up and share. And he wow. walked up and I'm like in my head going, oh my God, that's Steve <laughs> Jones. And he stands at a microphone and he looks at everybody. It was maybe his first time in AA. I don't know. And he goes, ah, fuck off. <laughs> he said, <laughs> and it was like the greatest thing I'd ever seen. Yeah. Uh, and no one knew how cool that was. But I, I swear to God, nobody knew that he was the guitar player for the Sex Pistols. How long have you been um, like normal guy where you're not uh, excessing? Oh, I wouldn't the... say I'm normal guy. Certainly my wife wouldn't. But, uh, you know, for years now, decades. Uh, two decades, maybe. I bet, I'm ever... sixty years. Old. I'm going to be. I'm fifty nine. I'm going to be sixty in uh, in March. So what? I'm old. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Can I? Okay. That's a good time for me to like recycle this theory that I have. When we were young, like when 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 we were like uh, in high school, and I'm using the royal we. Yeah. I remember looking at pictures of people who were like forty. Like our, our, our friends' dads, and they looked like walruses with their fucking mustaches, and they had stubby Labatt 50 bottles, and they fat, and they looked like they were just decrepit and awful. And well, I, used to, I used to dye my hair, right? I used to dye it like my old color, brown. Dark okay, color. yeah, yeah. But and you still I, look I, I good, I'm not dude. Gonna you look dye like my hair anymore. I fucking hate doing it. Yeah. And I'm white. I'm like Johnny Winter. I'm like fucking albino white, right? You're like Eminem if he never rapped. Maybe. I don't know what he, what he looks like. So anyway, I know what he looks like, but I don't know what his hair yeah. is. And so then I, I found this thing called camo. Redken makes it and it sort of blends the, the, the white. Oh. But, I think you yeah, and Dean so might be doing mean. using the like, same old, old guys looked old back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. It could have been the quality of the film. <laughs> no, no, it was it was I think it's 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 a beauty products. It's uh, being in better shape, eating better food. You know, you yeah, just maybe. Yeah, it's 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 strange because um, I don't know. Nowadays, it feels like like the fashion, like everything just seems younger now. Like maybe we're all just like 
constantly in living in a midlife crisis and we just don't really realize don't get me started. you want to talk about drugs fine but don't get me started on today's world it's 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 a catastrophe i i, I believe that we're living in a catastrophe do you think that we are living uh inside sort of like the apex of when we have to get our shit together or else the tipping point is here is that the kind of I, it depends what you mean by the tipping point. I, I just see that I, I, I think that for me personally, uh, when when kids stopped reading and they started going on social media, uh, it creates because I, I, I am a believer that uh, the, the brain is a muscle. It's not a belief. It's a fact. And that if you don't and you're a writer, so you obviously read. But, uh, you know, once you lose that uh, ability to have nuance and deepness and thought and uh, be able to, you get exactly what we're seeing right now. And it's fucking terrible. I, I don't mind if I sound like an old douchebag. No, but- it's, it's, it's fine. Like, and there's, a, there's young people. I, I talked to this, uh, I guess he was like 22. He was a friend of my nephews like five years ago or something. And I was trying to explain to him something about, um, about how it, 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 I felt it was valuable, and, and you'll know what I mean because uh, we're it, like when you when you were brought up, when we were brought up, being able to straddle the world and know what the world was like pre-internet and post-internet. Yes, and yeah, the vast difference me. between the two worlds. Very. I think it helps us. I think it helps Generation X to navigate these waters because I feel like we remember, dude. I used to have arguments with my friends for like weeks because we were too lazy to go to the fucking library and look it up in an encyclopedia that now we just have to like pick up our phone and look it up in six seconds so we don't know how to think anymore right we only know how to look up but that's a good but that's a good thing that you can do that for as far as i'm concerned the bad thing is the uh is the realization that if you really want to understand things you have to take in a, a shitload of information right yeah. Uh, and and even then you might not come to any conclusion that's rational or smart. But uh, I don't know. It's it was always reading for me, you know, like and I'm not a big reader anymore. I'm not going to ever pretend to be something I'm not. I'm not either. You might be surprised. And I think I get all my information auditory and I sure. read off a screen. But I the tactile experience of a novel. No, I but you, done that read off, you read off of a screen. You probably right. read articles. Right? I read you articles know? and nonfiction. Yeah. Right. Basically so there you go. I'm a nonfiction guy as well. But uh, I believe that that's a muscle. So if you go through, uh, you know, the school years and then into your 20s and you've never read a book or, or a long article, mm. then you're never going to. In my opinion, you're most likely never going to. I'm not an expert. I don't pretend to be. But I, I know that reading for me, I was a very slow reader, which really fucking uh, sucked for me because I wanted to read as much as I could possibly read. And I think I'm dyslexic though. I've never been diagnosed. And I know that from my writing, uh, the yeah. mistakes that people catch in it. And, but anyways, uh, it's just that that's all it is. It's just, uh, you know, you have to, you know, like when I'm on the internet, when we were doing the pre-show, when we were chatting and I was mm-hmm. telling you about, you know, responses to some of my tweets. I mean, to me, it's just like, Oh my God, I can't even believe it. Like maybe they're trolls and bots and I'm an idiot for for even thinking for a second it's representative. But uh, what I see is a lot of people that are a lot younger than me who don't seem to understand history. They have, I I don't think they have a solid knowledge of history, uh, which I think is very important. Uh, And I I, I can tell they, 
you know, I, that's an arrogant thing to say, but it looks like they've never really read books, nonfiction or fiction. I don't really care what it is. Yeah. And it, no, I, it I think me. you're right. I, th I think you're right. I think also like, and it's a mixture of that. I know this is going to sound like I'm a totally old man when I say this, but, yeah, but I okay. don't, I, I don't know why, but I, f I have a funny feeling that when we stop teaching kids how to write cursive, that that took away something. I don't know I'm, what. I'm sure it but, did. I never thought of that, but yeah, you're probably right. You know, and also, I don't think our brains were meant to process the abundance of tragedies that we know about. You know what I, I mean? I like, totally agree with you. And that's something that the technology can do. Yeah. And television to a certain extent. I 100% agree with that, that, that there's so much information that 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 whoever created us or or where we evolved i don't fucking know uh that our brain is not uh like when, when you don't know what to cry about, which is probably the most important. yeah when you don't know what to cry about do you even cry anymore <laughs> you know what i mean like well, I, I i cry very rarely but i do cry really i don't know i kind of pegged you as a crier a little bit i don't know why no, oh, a, a constant crier? No, no, not a constant crier, but a person who doesn't mind once a week, maybe secretly, covertly shedding a tear in the bathroom no, and then no, wiping your always, face. And... Uh, no, it's always situational. I'm projecting. I'm, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I'm. I, I'll tell you what. When I was younger, I noticed that I would cry from uh, Hollywood movies that were, you know, meant to make you cry. I would find that I could be very manipulated uh, yeah. that way. So, but whatever. I mean, it's probably healthy to cry. I don't really know anything, but I, I think it's probably not a bad thing to do uh, if you feel it. And certainly not to tap it down is probably a bad thing. That's. I, this, I can't believe I'm saying this because I don't think I've ever told anyone this before. And now I'm telling thousands of people, but um, I, uh, for, for since, since my kids have been with me, I always had this like weird, like idea that I could have been an actor. But then I could never force myself to cry. And then I found out what actors do to make them cry. Right. And I started doing it. And now I'm not going to do it now, but I can, I can pretty much make myself cry at that. You're I, I, know, just, I know, I yeah. know the, the mechanics and I can't do it. Because oh, really? it's the same reason why I can't meditate. I, I, it's one of those things that like when you, you know, I, if I think about not sleeping, there's no chance I'll sleep. Like I have to, if right. I think about, you know what I mean? That's just me. But um, yeah, and it's amazing the people that can do that. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I, but I don't know if I can do it in front of people. That's the weird part. Like, I know I can do it. Like, if I put down the computer right now and went outside just on the deck and, like, smoked a joint, it would take me about 12 seconds, and I could literally have a river coming down my face. Wow. And then yeah. I would just wipe it off and be, like, on my way. But if there was a whole crew and a boom mic guy and everything standing in front of me, well, I don't know. That's showbiz, right? That's yeah. the business. You have to do that, right? With music, you have to you know, play well at that moment when you're live. But yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, I, I think I'm pretty blocked emotionally. My wife thinks I'm a sociopath. I don't think it's that bad, but uh, I'm somewhat blocked emotionally. And I think it's for practical reasons, right? Like I, I want to be happy, you know, I want to yeah. be. Did you have a good childhood? I, I had a very lucky childhood, but then some people who know my childhood would say that, yeah, you, you had material things, but there's other things that, you know, my mom, uh, you know, she basically left when I was 13 years old and went to California, hooked up with an actor, left my father. Uh, and that probably hurt me more than I ever would uh, admit to or realize. And I've been through therapy where I've cried about it. Uh, 
you know, I think I'm, I, I think I do tap down and I think most men do, to be honest. Yeah. Tap down the pain, you know, and because who wants to, who wants to deal with the pain, you know? So a lot of people say, Hey, you should be very angry at your mother. You know, my mother, my, both my parents had challenges, addiction challenges, both of them. So I didn't really have a chance to be honest with you uh, in terms of not being an addict, but they were good people. They were loving people. They were smart people. They were nice people. So it's just in my heart not to be angry. I just, why would I want to be angry? You know, it's like the people who you see them on documentaries sometimes where they're someone they know was murdered and they forgive the person that murdered them. Yeah. That's more me than, than. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand that. I I still want to murder my stepmother and she's, you know, like, uh, I'm serious. I don't actually, I don't want to allegedly. No, no, no. What's that? But you must understand it because it's just simply that you don't want to harbor that hate in your heart, right? You want to. Uh, no, I always keep a little bit of my heart open for the hatred of my stepmom. A little bit. Um, <laughs> That's what I mean. Oh, she's a horrible no, I human get being. It. I, most, I think most people are maybe like that. I don't know. But uh, I'm more of the where I see stories like that. I'm just completely impressed. Yeah, uh, uh, I, I don't. Uh, I, I There's something about Oprah Winfrey's message of, you know, uh, holding resentment against somebody is like drinking poison and expecting them to die. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck off. Like it, it really, like some people deserve to be resented. I think, you know, like, no, and I don't think that's the point though. It's not whether they deserve to be, it's whether you deserve to have that in you. you know, yeah. It's once you get to the point where like, it stops eating you up inside and then you can actually experience the joy of wanting your no, stepmother I don't dead? Know what, wait a second. I don't know what your stepmother did to you. My mother loved me. Unconditionally. Oh, okay. Like she made yeah. me a left and she did things that hurt me indirectly. She was just trying to live her life, right? Mm-hmm. I've been very lucky. I've never, I uh, I was loved. I, I, I've never was hated. I was never told you're an idiot. You're, you know, I, I, I come from decent, nice people. They're, 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 they're challenged in their own ways, but who, Aren't we all? You know what I mean when you think. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, unlike the rest of my hometown, my hometown, we'll get off my stepmother. And um, were you able to uh, reconnect with your mom though after? after oh yeah, went? yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, the, here's the thing. I mean, I'm one of those. You know, get a lemon, make lemonade. So she moved to L.A. Mm-hmm. and she left my dad for an actor named Jeff Cooper, who was from Hamilton, who was a movie star in Mexico. Uh, and uh, a model, and yeah. he, he, he most famously, oddly enough, with all the shit he did, uh, was I'm picturing uh, a neck scarf for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> no, 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 no. He was he was tattooed, very, oh, wow. very cut. Uh, friends of David Carradine. That's how I knew David. Anyways, uh, he became famous. It, it, really, his most known role was playing Doctor Elby on Dallas, which was uh, a character that basically hypnotized Sue Ellen. Uh, to to figure out who shot Jr. So he was sort of you know, right. and he did soap operas, and he was very good looking and 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 a, a super nice guy. Uh, so so because of that, uh, my I grew up with privilege and, and money at the time. You know, I don't have it anymore really, but I did then. Uh, so I would go to L.A. to be with her during Christmas, Easter, and sometimes the whole summer. Now, all of my friends, being Ontario boys, would go to cottages in northern Ontario and whatnot. Yeah. I would get on a plane and go to L.A. And being a showbiz freak, it was the greatest thing in the world. You know, like it was 
and my mom had inherited money. So she had, she lived very well there and I would stay there with her and meet actors and go to, you know, NBC studios and experience LA, which no one my age was doing at the time. Right. They were all going to camps, Tamakwas and, and Wahanawans and, you know, yeah. so <laughs> yeah. it's like, okay, yeah, sure. I was probably devastated that she left, but I got to go to LA almost three times a year. Uh, and it was incredible. And, um, okay. Uh, and you have four kids, right? How old are your kids now? I have two kids in, in California. Yeah. They're estranged essentially, but I don't want to get into it. It's not okay. because of them. No, no. Sorry. Uh, and then, uh, I've got two children that I'm with, uh, and my wife in uh, Kingston, Ontario. Awesome. Um, and what are you working on now? You're doing the, you're doing like a tour with, uh, Kenny, you're going to Saskatchewan. Is there anything else that you're working on right now? You have a, you, you're doing a gig, right? It's coming up soon. Um, yeah, we got Saskatchewan gigs and then, oh, I've got a music gig that's just in a little bar here in Kingston, but I love, I love that. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I lost my YouTube channel. I had a YouTube channel and, uh, I put a series that I did called X rated for super channel on it. And, uh, without thinking that there was sexual content on there. So they toasted my YouTube channel. Oh. So I'm rebuilding that. I'm working with a producer named Derek Morningstar out of London, Ontario. And we're going to, you know, kind of do what you guys are doing, but I'll always be here for you guys. Cause I, I love Dean and you guys are great. Yeah. Uh, and you're writing for us now too. I saw. I did, welcome a, yeah, to, I did an article. Welcome to Spenny's center for deprogramming douche nozzles. Yes. That's your inaugural uh, piece for us, which is awesome. And that's you playing the guitar. You, you look kind of like Keith Richards there, but less I drugs. Oh, well, yeah. I, I don't know if I want to look like him, but I certainly want to sound like him. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. So uh, I just, you know, honestly, James, I'm just, I love being creative. That's it. And any way I can be creative, if I can make a buck, fantastic. If I can, I'm going to do it anyways. That's been my whole life. You know? Well, listen, man, um, I, I've enjoyed your work. I, and it's not just Kenny and Spenny. I like watching you talk. I like, um, you know, I, I like sort of sifting through the crates and YouTube and watching old interviews with you and clips and stuff like that. And I'm really happy that you're still, you know, uh, chugging along and doing creative stuff. And, you know, I hope to have you on again soon, man. That was fun. Oh, absolutely, James. Thank you so much. There's so much more to talk about. I appreciate the opportunity. There is. I'll have you on soon. Thanks, Spenny. All right. Bye-bye. That is Spencer Rice, everybody, a.k.a. Spenny. That was fun. That was fun. I could talk to that guy for hours. Like he's just, you know, he's just so real. He's very authentic. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you guys liked it. I think you guys liked it. Um, why wouldn't you like it? It's Spenny. He's dope. Um, tomorrow we have Karina Cohn on. Karina is a trans woman who uh, has a not so typical gender activist view on women's spaces. And so uh, we'll, we're going to have a pretty interesting conversation. I don't have anything booked for Friday yet, and I don't know if I'm going to. I still can't taste anything. Um, the COVID is like, uh, it, it is the shittiest illness, guys. I don't know who's had COVID, who's listening, but I've had it for just over a week now, and um, the first four days were awful. I, I'm not as bad as I were the first four days, clearly, but it just won't go away. You wake up, and you think you're almost out of the woods, and as the day goes by, you're just like, ugh. And uh, now I can't taste anything. So I'm just eating bread, you know, water, things like that. Big shout out and big thanks to Spencer Rice, to Spenny for coming on the show today. And yeah, we're going to see you tomorrow on Black. I'm just delaying here because I'm, I'm, I don't have my video up for my stupid intro because I had to take it down to put the Spenny thing up. 
And now I'm going through my computer trying to just sound natural, but I don't give a fuck. I'm sick. Um, okay, cool. So we'll see you tomorrow on Black Ball. Thanks, everybody. Black Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer. Such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.